You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. So, stepping forward with wisdom. This whole year is about stepping forward in the Spirit of God. The the scripture that's our theme scripture is in Galatians 5.25. It says, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. We talked about stepping forward with power last month. We talked about stepping forward with wisdom. How many of you know we need wisdom these days, right? Can I just say something? Wisdom and intelligence are not the same thing. You can have a pretty high IQ and a pretty low WQ. (laughs) There are some smart people making some pretty stupid decisions, and none of us are exempt from that. And so I want to talk about having wisdom in our lives over this month. We talked last week about uh, letting God transform our minds. We'll be talking about uh, helping, having wisdom with our finances, having wisdom with our, our words, what we say with our time. Today, I want to talk about a very personal subject because it's something that we all have, our bodies. Being wise with our bodies. The Bible says, first of all, the wisdom from above is pure, and we need wisdom from above. And how do we, what's a body to do? We want to keep in step with the Spirit. Um, you know, when you get out of step, it can be pretty embarrassing, right? Think of a, a lineman on a football field when they get out of step with the quarterback's snap count. What happens? They jump off sides. Everybody sees it. Or they're embarrassed. They made a mistake. It penalizes the team. Everybody suffers because a person gets out of line. In music, what happens when an instrument gets out of key or plays to the wrong tempo or a vocalist or in theater when, a, when an actor forgets their lines, they get out of step, they get out of sync, it's embarrassing, they get embarrassed. What happens when a spouse in a marriage gets out of step? It, it's not only embarrassing, it's painful. It's it's. it's it's guilt-invoking, it's shame-invoking, it, it, it's, it's difficult. So what happens when we are in step with the Spirit? In that chapter in Galatians 5, it says there's fruit in our lives. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, right? There's, there's patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, all the fruit of the Spirit. When you're in step with the Spirit, life is good. Right preceding that passage, it talks about when you're out of step with your spirit, it contrasts that with the works of the flesh. And the works of the flesh, it goes on there and it talks about our sexual immorality, impurity, cheap sex, fits of rage, selfish ambition, drunkenness, envy, orgies, all of that. All of that, when you get out of step with the spirit, there are consequences. And so our purpose today is just to encourage all of us with, with all that we are and all that we have, let's, let's try to keep in step with the Spirit because the daily news is just saturated these days with stories of people behaving badly, right? I mean, men behaving badly, sexual harassment, sexual misconduct, and it's just, it's just, horrible to see how this is so prevalent in all areas. We see it with 
with, with news executives. We see it with, with, with journalists, both on the liberal and conservative side of issues. Movie producers, stars, politicians, comedians, business executives, and I'm sure that we know about these people only because they're newsworthy, which tells me that that's just the tip of an iceberg. Why is it that smart people, intelligent people cannot have wisdom in areas of these, these areas of their lives? And we all battle with temptation. So the question is, what's the body to do? It's, it's easy to blame all of this on the media. It's the media's fault that there's so much of this going on. You know what? Before there was media, I read in the scripture, it was going on way back then. It's been going on since the beginning of time. And the devil made me do it. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. Let's, let's just not give any excuses for misconduct and misbehavior. We need wisdom from above. So today we're going to talk about our bodies. And when it comes to talking about our bodies, I know that this is a sensitive subject because people struggle. We all struggle in so much with areas surrounding our, our physical bodies. There's so much shame. There's, there's so much guilt. There's so much self-loathing. We look in the mirror. We don't like what we see. We've crossed lines. We feel regret. There's embarrassment. There's pride. All of these issues surround these physical bodies. But, but what if God really cares about our bodies? What if, what if what we do with our bodies matters to God? What we eat, what we drink, how we treat our bodies, what we do with our bodies. What if that really matters to God? And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's two scriptures that I really want to touch on. First one, last week we touched on it, Romans chapter 12. Paul talks about God's incredible wisdom and glory and presence. He ends chapter 11 with this incredible, magnificent doxology. And then, and then he says, therefore, because of God's mercy, because of God's grace and Please, if you hear anything in what I say today, I want you to understand all of this is said within the context of God's goodness and grace to us. Because of God's wonderful forgiveness, his mercy, his grace, his goodness, offer your bodies as living sacrifices to God. This is your true and proper worship, he says. Don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's good will is, his good, his pleasing and perfect will. Notice the connection there between bodies and minds. Offer our bodies and let your minds be transformed. Do you see how the two are connected? And, and, and Paul's writing here in a time where people saw that, well, there is the Greek mindset in which a lot of the scriptures were formed in, the New Testament especially. The Greek worldview was this dualistic worldview that, that there's the spiritual world and there's the material world. There's our spirits and there's our bodies. The spiritual world goes forever and goes to heaven. Heaven is good and that is great. The material world doesn't go anywhere. It's bad. Matter is bad. Spirit is good. So in the Greek mindset, there was this dualistic mentality, this separation between the mind and the body. 
And all they cared about was having the right, this was the Gnostic error, the Gnostic heresy that was, was, was really prevalent in the early church that much of the New Testament was speaking about because it saw the destructiveness when we separate our minds and our bodies. When we think that what we do in our minds, spirituality is about what we believe. Spirituality is what we think. Spirituality is how we believe and, 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 and how we, but it doesn't really matter what our bodies do. There's a separation between them. And he says, no, offer your bodies and your mind will be transformed. It, it, they go hand in hand. But this Greek mindset permeates our culture. In the Hebrew mindset, our minds and our bodies are inseparable. There's, you, can't, you can't break the two apart. And so when he says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, it's almost as if you know, he draws on the imagery of the Hebrew scriptures and, and the Jewish tradition of placing animal sacrifices before God and saying, here, God, I give it all to you. This is what I offer to you. Take it, consume it, use it. Make it be a, a pleasant odor in your sight, God. I want it to be used for your glory and worship. And he's saying, that's what we need to do with our bodies and say, here we are, God, all of me, I give myself to you, body, mind, soul, spirit, because God wants to redeem all of you. He just doesn't want to redeem your mind. He wants to redeem all of you, every moment, every day, our entire being, and that's the point I want to make here. God wants to redeem all of me, my mind, my body, and, or my spirit, and my body, our bodies don't exist just to carry our heads around, right? They're connected. So we're asking the question, what does the scripture say about our bodies? Because I believe for some reason the church has a low view of the body. We don't think much about our bodies. It's all about getting to heaven when we die. But what do we do with our bodies while we live? And so the question I'm asking is, what's a body to do? What's a body to do? That's the question I keep asking today. Well, the second scripture I want to look at, and I want to drive deeper into this one here, is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, just two verses in the middle there, toward the end of that chapter, verse 19 begins by saying, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Let's, let's take a look at these truths that we find in here. The first one is simply this. I, I'm not my own anymore. I belong to God. I was bought at a price. What does that mean? Well, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. You see, God knows that we're broken. God knows we're sinful. God knows that, that in these bodies, all is not right, all is not well, that we all fall short, we all are separated from God, we've all gone our own way. And so what did God do? God took on a body. And in his body, he showed us how to live and how to walk. He taught us what it is to live rightly before God and to do rightly toward others and how to treat others and how to live purely. And yet that body was abused, that body was betrayed, that body was falsely accused, that body 
was taken and nailed to a cross. And on that cross, that body, some miraculous, mysterious way, because it wasn't just another man dying on a cross like many others did in those days. It was God in the flesh who said, on this cross, I am going to take away or I'm going to absorb all the sin of anyone who believe in me. All that brokenness in your body, all the regrets, all the mistakes, all the shame, all the, the guilt. He says, I'm going to buy that from you. I'm going to get that from you. I'm going to take it from you, and I'm going to give you my life, my righteousness, my holiness. You're going to be right before God. And so that's the gospel. God bought us at a price, and the price was the cost of himself, God becoming flesh and dying on the cross. He purchased us. So now we are not our own. We belong to God. And so what we need to say and what Paul's writing here is, God, we need to say, God, I'm yours. Here I am, all of me. All of what I am is yours. And the problem is we, we, we say that, but we want to hold back a part of us. Imagine you sell your house or you buy a house. Let's, let's say you're the buyer. And um, you have the closing and you... You get the keys, you go into the house, and you walk in the front door and see the entryway, and you think, oh, I want to paint this or put a new floor in. You see the, you see the living room, oh, I want to decorate it this way, I want to make it like this. You go in the kitchen and you say, oh, I can't wait to, oh, you go up to the bedrooms and you think of maybe you need to do some more carpeting, you need to do some repairs, it might not be, but it's yours and you can do with it whatever you want. And then for some reason you decide, well, I'm going to go down and check the basement out. And you go down there and you realize, what, there's stuff here. There's, there's furniture here. And then you hear somebody walking around and you see, oh, w what are you doing here? And it's the seller. And the seller says, oh, oh, I just want you to know, you bought all the house except for this room. This one's mine. I'm not leaving. I'm staying here. And I think a lot of us, we kind of do that with God. We say, God, you can have almost all of me, but this part, it's mine. I'm not going to let you have that part of me. I'm going to keep this to myself so I can stay here and do what I want in this room. And you can just please avoid that. We compartmentalize our lives, our bodies, and we say, God's not allowed here. And so, so the point here he's saying is that you belong, I belong to God, everything I am, all that I have, all that I am, it belongs to God. And you know what? God knows all the parts of your life, but he loves all the parts of your life too. He loves, he knows and he loves and he forgives and he wants you to welcome him into all of those parts and even those parts that we want to keep hidden. But that's the point. I belong to God. I was bought at price. But the other thing he says here is our body is a temple. My body is a temple. My body is a temple. You might say, well, yeah, look at me. I worship me. That's not what we're saying. It is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've 
done a little bit of traveling. You've probably been to cathedrals. You've been to churches. You've been to places. I've been to temples, even temples to, to other gods. And I've visited in my travels. And what is it about temples? Well, temples are places that are taking special care. Temples are places that they're well manicured. Temples are places that are supposed to be a place that points you somewhere else. It's a place that points you to God. Big cathedrals, they're supposed to point you to God. They're not the end result. In other words, a temple is a dwelling place of God, but God is the one to be worshipped, not the temple itself. What happens is idolatry is worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. And so many of us, we worship this temple of our bodies instead of worshiping the Holy Spirit that is dwelling within us. And that is idolatry. Idolatry. We worship our, we, we, yeah, I'm a temple, man. We treat it, we invest in it, we do our best to, you know. But don't worship your body and don't worship yourself your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that resides in you, the Bible says. <clears throat> so, Paul's not saying here that you're to worship your body. He's to worship the Spirit that resides in you. And then the third thing he says here is honor God with your body. I can honor God with my body. Well, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, let me just get real practical if these bodies are spiritual, it's not just my mind, it's just not what I think that's spiritual, my body is spiritual too, then I do need to care for it like the temple that it is, not worshiping it, but I should probably eat right, right? I mean, I should probably keep it healthy, I should probably get exercise, right? I probably should get proper rest. I mean, you come to church and the pastor preaches on eat, exercise, and sleep. That's the message of the day. Yes, it is. It is. It is. And I'm going to preach it at you right now. How many of us could do better with our diets? Right? It's a spiritual thing. So maybe for you today, your takeaway is, you know, I'm going to cut out all the sodas that I drink. I'm just going to drink water. Maybe it's I'm going to add some greens to my, to my diet. I need to eat some salads. I need to eat greens. Or maybe I just need to cut down the calories, cut out the junk, cut out the processed food and the sugars and all that stuff. And you say, well, pastor, that sounds like, you know, something I get from, you know, a, a dietitian, not a pastor. Well, it's a spiritual thing. Do it. But not only that, exercise. How many of us, and I'm included in that, spend most of our hours every day sitting in a chair behind a screen or just sitting and watching a screen? <laughs> right? You know, there was a day when you had to get out and work the field to survive or your job involved labor. Um, and I'm not saying it's not labor, it's taxing on your brain to sit there and do the work that you have to do to, to process your job, but our bodies suffer as a result of that. And so maybe for some of us, it's 
Pay attention to that Fitbit that you bought for Christmas last year. <laughs> get your steps in. Get your stands in. <clears throat> Maybe for you, it's a day to say, okay, God, I, I've heard your spirit speaking to me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get myself in better shape physically. And then the other part is sleep, you know. They're doing more and more studies. The more they study sleep, the more they realize the benefits of sleep. And I could go on and on about that, but too many of us are sleep deprived these days because we're addicted to our screens. We have electricity these days, so we can have the power on and the lights on and the screens on and, and we can stay up late at night. And um, back when there was no electricity, you know, once the candle burned out, you, you went to sleep. You, you slept more because your body was in rhythm with nature and you were able to sleep more and wake more and, and do that. And now we have just, you know, we, we've eradicated or we've overridden our, our natural um, rhythms and we don't get enough sleep, but yet your brain needs sleep to reset. Your body needs sleep to rebuild what's the toxicities of the day and to uh, be able to fight off um, infections and diseases. Your, your body needs rest to, to, to be able to uh, be healthy physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. So, so that's, that's part of how I can honor God with my body. I just proper diet, exercise, and sleep. And I think all of us could walk away from this today and say, yeah, I could probably do better in that area or that area. But thinking about it is one thing, doing it is another thing, and I'm going to just challenge the Holy Spirit to remind you of some things right now that you're thinking about. <clears throat> but the context of which this text is, isn't just about diet, exercise, and sleep, although I think it could include that. But he is talking about sexuality, and the other way we honor God with our body is with healthy sexuality. Healthy sexuality honors God. Healthy sexuality honors God. And to understand what healthy sexuality is, I think we need to talk briefly about, well, what is unhealthy sexuality? And, and in this area, I think there are two dishonoring or two unhealthy views of sexuality that I want to speak to. One was the issue that Paul was writing to, to the Corinthians, because they lived in a culture where this dualistic mindset prevailed, and there were... <clears throat> Corinth was a city in a, in a major trade routes. It was in, uh, in Greece. There was water systems. There was road systems that, that converged there. There was the temple to Aphrodite, the great temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of fertility. Part of the worship of Aphrodite encouraged temple prostitution because if you practice an act of fertility with a temple prostitute, God will bless you and make your life prosper was part of the philosophy there. The idea in Corinth, the slogan of Corinth was everything is permissible for me. In fact, if you read earlier on in that chapter, Paul uses their language to talk about this issue. Yes, everything is permissible, but it's not beneficial. It's not helpful. It could be destructive. So, so they had this idea that, that sex is harmless. It doesn't matter what you do with your body with another person. Sex is harmless. That was their distorted view, the unhealthy view. In fact, the word 
Corinth became a verb, Corinthianized. To Corinthianize meant to practice immorality. That's how well known Corinth was and the immorality of Corinth was in the culture of those days. And that's exactly what Paul was addressing here. Notice what he says in verse 18. He says, run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Notice he doesn't say flirt with it, get close to it as much as you can, play with it. He says flee from it, run from it. Because there's no such thing as casual sex. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, it's just sex. There is no such thing as just sex because sex is a bonding experience between two people that is a sacred experience. God created it. I, I, I like to use the analogy of pieces of tape. And, and when you put two pieces of tape together for the first time, it's difficult to pull them apart. The bond is very strong. But you pull that apart and then you put it again to another piece of tape, the next time it's not so difficult to pull it apart. And you push it again and you do that several times and before long, the tape has lost its ability to bond, its ability to adhere. And I think when we grow up with this idea of casual sex and we practice this with so many people, it is much more difficult to have a beautiful, bonded, sacred relationship with another human being. And so he speaks to that here. When you're that intimate with another person, you leave a part of yourself behind and you take a part of that person with you. And that's why... God's plan is to be reserved for a committed marital relationship. So that's the one extreme is that sex is harmless. Oh, it doesn't matter what we do with our bodies because our bodies aren't going to go to heaven. Our spirits go to heaven. That's the dualistic thinking. And that, that Greek mindset is prevalent in our culture. But the other extreme of that <clears throat> is the thinking that, well, sex is bad. Sex is evil. Oh, you know, run from it to the degree that you don't appreciate it. And sex is all evil is, is a view that sometimes, I think, sometimes people in religious circles and Christian circles can get that message too. And, and that's not what I'm saying here today. In fact, I've heard people say that or believe that, that uh, the original sin between Adam and Eve was they had sex with each other. That the apple was just, you know, uh, uh, just a, a, a metaphor or just a word, you know, to, that's, no, God said, be fruitful and multiply. Duh. How are you going to do that? Sex wasn't the original sin, but yet people look at that as what the original sin was. And that's not. Sex is not sinful. Let that sink in. God created it. God made us as sexual beings. We all have sexual desires. That's not bad. Accept it. Embrace it. Be thankful for it. Right? But the idea that sex is evil is kind of like, you know, with, with, with food. There are two extreme views of few, food. Let's just make that metaphor, right? 
One view of food is, ah, eat whatever you want. Don't worry about the calories. Don't worry about the sugars. Don't worry about the fats. Don't worry about the chemicals. You know, just go out and, and eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die. Let's just fill our bodies with whatever we want. That's one view of it. But there is the other view that food is evil. And those eating disorders is the other extreme bulimia, anorexia, food is evil. Both of those extremes are destructive to people. In the same way with sexuality, each extreme is destructive because if you believe that sex is evil, then you will not be able to have a healthy sex life. You will always be in, in secret. You will always be in the shadows. You will always be hiding. You will always be doing things that, that, that are not gonna help you bond with another human being. So, and that's what, Paul, that's what Paul's getting to here. He gets to this healthy, here's the honoring view of sexuality that he goes to, because he goes right into that in chapter seven. And you gotta remember when, the, when the, the scriptures were written, there weren't chapters and verses, it was one long letter. So it's just one flow of thought into the next. And so he goes from this admonition to honor God with your bodies, and he's answering questions that the people sent him. And so a healthy and honoring view of sexuality is this. Sex is a gift from God. As your body needs food, exercise, and sleep to be healthy, we are made to procreate and bond together through sexuality in a God-blessed, God-ordained way. Notice what Paul says, and I'm going to read here from the message version. It's a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. 1 Corinthians 7. Peterson's paraphrase goes like this. Now getting down to the questions you asked for in your letter to me, it is, good, is it a good thing to have sexual relations? That's the question they asked him. And the reply, Paul writes, is certainly, but only within a certain context. It's good for a man to have a wife and for a woman to have a husband. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them and to provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. That could have been written yesterday. It was written 2,000 years ago. He goes on to say, the marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or out. Abstaining from sex is permissible for a period of time if you both agree to it, and if it's for the purposes of prayer and fasting, but only for such times, then come back together again because Satan has an ingenious way of tempting us when we least expect it. Talk about the practical instructions in Scripture. And we're asking the question, what's a body to do? How do we honor God with our body? Well, first of all, we say, God, I'm all yours. Mind, body, soul, and spirit. And God, I, I, I know that you've given me this body. And while I have this body, I am to care for it. So God, help me to learn to eat right, to get proper exercise, give it enough sleep. And God, I know that this body was created 
not just to procreate, but to share with another person whom I'm committed to for life. Because that's the one thing that we will have between us that we will not have with anybody else. And that's what makes our relationship special. And we honor God that way. So what do we need to do? Well, I think we need to think ahead of time what we're going to do. Because if you wait for the body to tell you what to do, this is where your mind needs to come in to help your body be right. Or maybe I should say the spirit needs to come in and speak to us. Then, then set goals for yourself. Set some goals for your diet. Set some goals for your exercise. Set some goals and make them reachable, please. You know, we all start that severe diet on New Year's Day and by the end of January, it's been out the window. Just, what's one thing I can do in my diet to be healthier? What's one thing I can do to, be help, to get more exercise? What's one thing I can do? If I'm only sleeping five hours a night, can I sleep five and a half hours? Can I go to bed a half hour earlier? Can I go to bed, can I go to bed an hour earlier? Can I sleep in a little? You know what I mean? Just set some goals. When it comes to your sexuality, make sure you set goals with your sexuality too. I'm going to experience this with my, with my spouse. We're going to be, we're going to talk about this and we're going to enjoy that together. And I'm going to set boundaries outside of my marriage. Because if you don't, others will set boundaries for you or they'll break those boundaries. They'll tell you how to go. So I, I need to realize, I need to stay off the porn sites. I need to quit flirting with that coworker of mine. I need to not flirt, not entertain those thoughts. I need to stay away from those things because I know they're only gonna cause hurt and pain, not only for me, but others in my life. Just look at all the people in the news. You don't want that to be you. So folks, how many of you would say, we need wisdom from above? And we need the Spirit of God in us because we all need it. We all need it. I'm talking to young boys and girls. I'm talking, about, I'm talking to old boys and girls too because I think it applies to everybody at every age of life. Everybody at every age of life. And this message isn't to condemn. In, lo- in light of God's mercy, in light of God's mercy, so I know you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, I'm a real lousy person. Man, I'm out of shape. Man, I've been eating too much. Man, I need to lose weight. Man, I need to, man, I need to get my sex life right. Man, you're, you're feeling that condemnation right now. And I just want to tell you, let that stay here. Leave it here. And walk out today saying, Spirit of God, I know you understand. That's why I need your help. That's why I want you to help me. Help me, help me. Help me to honor you with my body. Help me to honor you with your, my body. Can you just say that right now? Help me to honor you with my body, God. Would you bow your heads with me? I'm gonna ask the band to come back up. I, I, I don't think, this is one of those messages where I don't think there is a person here that can't say, that in any area of their life they could improve with their body. I think all of us could say that. Yeah, I need the Spirit's help. How many of you would say, I need, the, I need wisdom from above. 
I need wisdom from above. I need, would you stand with me? Let's just stand together. And let's just offer ourselves to God, right? That's what he said at the beginning. Let's say, God, I offer myself here. Here I am, God. You know me. You know my mistakes. You know my weaknesses. You know my failures. You know my tendencies. But God, I want to offer you all of me. Take me. Fill me. Help me. Use me. I want this body to be around for a long time, and I want it to be healthy. I want it to be used for your purposes. I want it to bring glory to you. I want people to, to see that there's a better way of living than this dualistic Greek mindset that's so destructive in our culture today. Not to condemn others. We don't want to think we're any holier than anybody else because we're not. This isn't to look down on anybody else. It's to say, God, I need you. I need you. I need you. So God, would you just fill us right now? Help us to realize that these bodies are sacred. They're temples of the Holy Spirit. And we belong to you. We surrender to you. Right now, we're all yours. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.